last time I was involved in a pastoral search, it took 12 years. Okay? Now, the issue was we needed somebody who could preach in three languages. And, it, and that person was found in the kind providence of God. Uh, what is going on here, and I have nothing to do with the candidate process, but you're moving like fast freight, so settle down. <laughs> you want to you know everything. All you need to know is keep me out of it or it'll take you 12 years. <laughs> this is the Lenten season, and um, last Wednesday was uh, Ash Wednesday, and in the church year, the Lenten season is associated with the coming of Easter, and essentially the lengthening of days. The, day, the daylight gets longer. And um, uh, Tuesday, I'm going to fine line our, our uh, Lenten uh, schedule as far as uh, what the history of your church is or the traditions of your church, what you do and when you do it. And uh, there'll be more information about... Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, and I heard sometimes there's a breakfast, so don't run the risk of a bad breakfast at home. If we have a breakfast here, you make sure you're here. That was, that was a jab at the meals you get at home, okay? And ladies, don't, don't run the risk of a bad Saturday morning when you can be here for the strawberry social. You notice how that just came right out? Strawberry social. This is Holy Communion Sunday, and if you have not received the cup and wafer, um, put your hand up and somebody will deliver them. Anybody? So that when we get to the end, we over here on my left, okay, they're coming. Just keep your hand up. This gentleman will take care of you, okay? And I'll say this just before we observe the Lord's Supper at the end of the sermon again so that everyone can participate uh, together. Uh, if you read in the dictionary uh, what, what is catalysis, you'll find out that it's um, the process of speeding up a chemical reaction or of slowing it down. And to do that, you use a, a catalyst. And if you want to know what it does, is it stimulates something or it brings about a result, it speeds up the action, and the engineers in the congregation can give a more sophisticated um, explanation of it. But all you need to know is that when I read through the book of Hebrews, I, I recognize little nuggets I call catalysts that activate my sensitivity to the observance of Holy Communion. It's like, it's like the issue of boom. Uh, in my thinking about the work of Jesus, and uh, they might only be a few words or a short section or part of a sentence, but it, it just adds uh, uh, an escalation of my feelings and my thinking about the sacrifice Jesus made uh, on my behalf to secure uh, my salvation and my redemption. Now... Um, there have been times when I've looked forward to something that was going to be a long pleasure, and it ended up being very short, almost like a blink of an eye. I'm looking for big and long, and I get short and brief. 
In the 1980s, Pam made two trips to Europe to sing with the University of Maryland Chorus. And I was left at home with uh, Krista and Micah. Krista was early teens. Micah was six or seven. And um, as a boxing match on uh, a boxing event in Atlantic City, and all the sports fans were fahutzed over it not being uh, broadcast. You couldn't listen to it in the radio, and you couldn't watch it on TV. And so a local sports announcer was going to the fight. He got a ticket, and so he's going to the fight. And the plan is for him to, after each round, to run out and call, this is before cell phones, call the radio station WMAL in Washington, D.C., and he'd tell us what happened. And then after the next round, after the next round. So the boys and I were making uh, soup that night. Uh, we had already eaten enough to keep the hunger away, and the soup was going to top it off, you know, when the fight was over. So we're making this soup, and the guy, the guy who uh, is making the announcements, he said, okay, now I'm going in, and we're going to get the first round. Well, in a blink of an eye, his voice is back on the radio. This fight lasted 86 seconds. So the soup was named 86 Second Soup. Now, it took longer than that to get it done, but we were looking for long and fun and all this, and it was just very quick. Uh, in in uh, the 96 Olympics, I was interested in one of the runners, and uh, this was on TV, and he took about two steps, and it was over. He pulled a hamstring. So instead of seeing this glorious, it's gone. The Gettysburg Address fits on one piece of paper. Winston Churchill got up to give a speech one time, and all he said was, never give up. And he kept repeating, never give up, never give up. That's the whole speech, kept going on, and then it, it was over. He got the message, never give up, but it was very quick. I remember when some people came to our uh, candlelight service on Christmas Eve, and uh, I don't know if they were expecting a long sermon or not, but four minutes long. Most of the service was all music and everything, and, and if they expected me to get up and talk for very long, four minutes, that was it. When I was in college, Dr. McCaig was the vice president at Nyack College. We all had to go to chapel. You had an assigned seat, and it was set up alphabetically. You filled out a paper that, as to your attendance each week, and you filed the paper. And um, I want to go back in the archives and see if they still have my chapel report of when I was in chapel. But one morning, Dr. McCaig was leading the service, and he announced the hymn, and the organ and the piano started, and we sang a hymn. And when the hymn was all done, he said, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out. Chapel's dismissed. The speaker didn't show up. So we had a long coffee break. The point is, you're expecting something long and big and and pleasurable to enjoy, and all of a sudden, just blink of an eye, it's all over. That's how I feel when I read about the first five or six verses of Hebrews chapter 1. The featured celebrity and star of the whole book, chapter 1, verse 3, he sits down. What he's going to do has been done. Completely. The, the rest of the 13 chapters works out the details 
of how we respond to what he's done. But his work is over. Chapter 1, verse 3. Expecting a long story, it's very short. His work was done very, very quickly. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture that shows us the finality of Jesus' work on our behalf, that we can live a satisfied, complete, if you please, finished life through our relationship with Jesus Christ. The gospel message is not just that Jesus died and rose again. He did that. But there's more to it than that. The only way we deal with God is to deal with Jesus, who becomes our creator and the heir of all things, and we're anchored in him. That was our first study, Hebrews chapter 1. But is this information about Jesus just something that we agree with, or is there more to it than that? There's more to it. The information is not just to be agreed with, The information is to get us into a relationship. And when we're in the relationship, how we live in that relationship and continue in it is the the critical issue. The book of Hebrews goes into great detail that what Jesus did on the cross is a finished work. It's complete. It's thoroughly adequate. If you please, it's it's in the book, it's in the books, it's final. Salvation has been provided. And the rest of the book, all 13 chapters, admonish and encourage us to go on. We have a finished work. We have a finished work to live in. So, live in it. The work has been finished. So the gospel's not just about Jesus died and rose again but who it is who died and rose again. Who did this? If you read verse 3, we find out who it is who has done this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his power. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I want to talk about the radiance of Jesus, or as some translations say, his brightness. Jesus is not a reflection of God, but he is God in his very nature. Um, We have truck drivers in this congregation. And uh, when a truck driver looks in that big West Coast mirror and sees something, like the Mercedes-Benz that's parked behind him or something, the Mercedes-Benz is not in the mirror. It's a reflection. Jesus is not some reflection. He's the real thing in his very nature. He's the real thing. The nature of Christ is the nature of God. Jesus is divine. We refer to him as the divine son of God. That's just not some superficial language. 
He is the radiance of God's glory. Verse 3 goes on. He's called the exact representation of his being. Uh, some translations say he's the express image. In other words, what God is, Jesus is. What Jesus is, God is. He's not an idol. He's not some likeness. He's not some facsimile. He's the real thing. This is the one who has secured the finished work that we describe. The character of God is Jesus, and Jesus is the character of God. The passage goes on to say he's upholding all things, or he's sustaining all things. This one who is the Savior is also involved in creation. Now, creation is not something that happened in the past. The scriptures are very clear that God is sustaining the creation today. So I'm not willing to give up the doctrine of creation as it's taught in the Bible because I'm not scientific or I'm not well-educated in the sciences or, or whatever. I'm not giving it up. It's written all over the place in the Bible. Here we're talking about the sacrifice of Christ, and he's described as the one who sustains the creation that we see around us all the time. So just because I don't have a great understanding of the created order and of science and explaining everything, I can certainly look around me and see what's going on. And I can read in scripture where the doctrine of salvation is being presented. And in the same breath, in the same sentence, the doctrine of creation is. So I, I remember professors telling me in my education that when you start cutting and pasting with the Bible, it's like when you had your first biology lab and you were working on a frog and you were dissecting a frog. And I remember this professor saying, remember when you did that? And most of us would say, yeah, I remember us dissecting a frog. All of a sudden, there is frog everywhere. And you have no idea what it is. Yeah, put a pin in it with a piece of paper and identify the different parts so the prof can come by and see your different parts. I got news for you. Here are all the parts written on a piece of paper, pieces of paper. Here are all the pins. Now, here's all the frog. You, you can match them up. You end up with frog everywhere. The same thing happens when we start cutting and pasting on the Bible of this is in and this is out, or this applies and this doesn't. It just goes everywhere, and you end up, you end up with a mess. So the gospel is not just that Jesus died and rose again, but who it is who has done this. God has done this in the person of Christ. So what's the point of, of this being in such a succinct way spelled out? The point is, when you get to chapter 2, it asks a question. How can we neglect so great salvation? Or how can I look lightly on what God has done? I do that at my own peril. This is not something to be taken as some religious information or some information that just 
scintillates the mind and becomes part of our religious vocabulary. This is serious business. When Jesus did what he did on the cross of Calvary and sat down at the right hand of the Father, his work is done. And the resources that he's provided for me are available, and they're available now. The verse goes on to say that he provided purification for sins after he had provided purifications for sins, the work on the cross. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I want to talk about purification, and I'll use a physical analogy. Um, when I was a child, I, I worked in a garage. If I did today what I did then, the guy I worked with would be arrested for corrupting a minor or whatever. But it wasn't that kind of a world that I grew up in. I was down in the coal yard, and I participated in working on trucks. And when I was so small that I could put the, the bearings from the wheels on a tractor trailer on the trailer, I could put it over my hand and run it the whole way up to my armpit. I was taught how to clean bearings and pack them with grease. Now today they run in oil, but back in the old days, it was grease, referred to oftentimes as grease, grease. So you'd clean these up. Things were very clean. Grease rags laid out on the bench like a surgical table. And the bearings were cleaned. Your hands were clean to do this. They're all clean. And then you put your hand through it. If you have small hands, I was a kid, and you pack these bearings. You get them all packed. And then uh, the man I worked for, worked with, he'd come and get the bearings, and he'd put them back in after everything was cleaned up. You had to do that to, to maintain them. I was taught that if you had a grain of sand, or we also hold coal out of this building, any little pieces of coal or dust or anything, it would grind on the bearings and wear the bearings out. So it had to be as clean as you could possibly get it. It needed to be, in a sense, purified. I have a friend in Maryland who builds chassis for dragsters, and for a time he built racing engines. He found that his racing engines every now and then would blow up. And when it blew up, it took the hood off and put it over in the stands or blow the front bumper off the vehicle and it would go the other direction. So he concluded that his problem was he couldn't build chassis and have all that dirt in the shop and in the same shop build an engine that would survive because no matter how hard he tried, it was an impure, if you please, mechanically, it was impure. And so he gave up the engines, and he continued to work with the chassis. My hunch is, later in his life, he gave up the chassis. That's too hard, and it's more fun to build engines and make all that noise. So I think he got rid of the chassis, and he worked on the engines. But you couldn't do both because of dirt. Jesus died so that we can have a pure life, and he cleans us up. The whole process of redemption is not calling 
me as a sinner clean and allowing me to go on and live in my dirt and filth. He's not only calling me clean in him, he's making me clean in him. And a lot of the problems we face as believers is we've, we've participated in bringing impure things in, into our life. And it's like a grain of sand working on a bearing. It's going to wear you out. And, and we, I won't talk about you, but I can wear myself out from the inside out because of the stuff I've allowed to come into my life. And so the purity that Christ has died to provide is a real reality, if you please, in the life of the believer. We sing out of the Psalms, cleanse my heart, O God, make it pure. And our hymnals are full of music about a clean heart and a purified heart and, and cleaning us up from the inside out and making us into the kind of people that can live what Dr. Simpson called, Dr. Simpson, the founder of our denomination, and he wrote, he not only wrote many sermons and booklets and things like that, he wrote hymns to go along with it. You talk about the job of a, of a preacher. Yeah, you come up with a sermon, then you've got to have a four stanza hymn that goes along with it, okay? And then you produce a brochure. This is before computers and all this other kind of stuff. So as you look through our hymnal, for example, there's a hymn in here called Days of Heaven on Earth. Dr. Simpson preached sermons about that on that theme. So he writes a hymn that goes along with a sermon, and then he also has a devotional book with the same title, that it all goes together. He saw walking with Jesus like days of heaven on earth. And, and he, wasn't, he wasn't doing anything other than what we've just discovered in this passage of Scripture, that Jesus, who is the divine Son of God and died to secure a redemption, Part of that redemption is the purification of sin out of our life and cleaning us up from the inside out. And the impact his life is to have on us. It's, the gospel's not just that Jesus died and rose again, but who it is who has done this. And his resurrection and new life are to impact the life that we have today, which is like living a heavenly life on the earth until we get to live with him uh, in glory. So when he secured this redemption as in the brilliance and brightness of God the Father, the radiance of his glory, the exact nature of his own person, provided purification for our hearts and lives, he sits down because everything's been provided. Have you ever bought something and you thought you needed something else in addition to whatever you bought? And as you're talking to the person who sold you whatever it was, he said, yeah, that's in there. Oh, yeah, that's in there too. Ah, that's, that's in there too. You don't need something. This will do it. This will do it. Do you mean to tell me that what I just bought will in fact do all of these different things? Yes, I do. That's what's going on here. He sat down. It's a symbol. It's a picture. The work is finished. Now, I'm putting myself as an old-time person saying this, but old-time preachers used to talk frequently about the finished work of Christ. Finished. 
And the whole rest of the book is an explanation that it's too soon for us to stop following. It's too soon for us to forget about the commitments we've made. The work is finished. I'm still catching up with all that's been provided for me. But the problem isn't at God's end. The problem is at my end, living in the reality of what's been provided for me. So the communion meal is a remembrance of all that Jesus has purchased, if you please, for us. And we need to be reminded of this because, and I'll give you a Mandarin lesson again. I know I'm repeating myself, but there are some things that need to be repeated, only I'm not repeating myself. I'm supposed to say, I'm restating a truth. Okay. I'm restating something that I don't ever want to forget. Mandarin, this, now, for, first of all, if anyone has studied Mandarin or has Chinese background or something, I apologize to you because I'm talking about something that's just way far over my head. But when I look at Mandarin characters, I see little pictures in, in these characters. And um, the picture of remember when you don't remember, it's a heart and a, like a dagger. When you don't remember, your heart dies. And when your heart dies, you don't remember. I don't want my heart to die. I want my heart to be alive. And part of keeping my heart alive is to remember. It's written on the front of the table. Do this in remembrance of me. I've already told you. I want to do a study on remembering. haven't gotten to that yet. It's on my list of things to do. The remembering the sacrifice of Jesus is part of keeping my heart in the right place. And when my heart's in the right place, I will remember and, and be grateful to him for who he is and what he's done. The gospel's not just that Jesus died and rose again but who it is who has done this and the impact that's to have on my life, keeping my memory and my heart together of Jesus. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we will observe the Holy Communion. Father God, we thank you for the clear teaching here in this year book on the finished work Jesus has done on our behalf. You have not dealt with us in a cheap, partial way, but in a way that we can only confess as full, final, and complete. When you say in your word, that you have given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, we confess you have done this in Jesus. And we worship you, and we celebrate the provision. Your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, has done for us and provided for us to live in. Indeed, when we think of this and reflect upon it, our lives are days of heaven on earth. Knowing your will, knowing your person, 
knowing that you haven't held anything back from us and what we need. You have been good and gracious to us, and we come now to this table to worship you, Father, Son, and blessed Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, before we have the bread and the cup, I would, is there anyone that hasn't been served and needs the cup of the bread? Okay, we're all ready. Um, Every now and then I refer to the prayer of listening silence. And the prayer of listening silence is when I just quiet my heart before the Lord and inquire if there's something I need to know (laughs) and if there's something... I need to pray about. This is the time when we exercise the prayer of listening silence and the Lord speaks to us and we come to his table. The night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is broken on your behalf. He went on to say that this is to be done to remember him. Let us remember our Lord Jesus in the eating of the bread. Let us eat together. During the Passover meal, there were a number of different cups that were consumed as part of the meal as part of the celebration of Passover. One of these cups, the Lord Jesus said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Again, he admonished his followers to remember him in the drinking of the cup. So let us remember our Lord Jesus and his sacrifice in the drinking of the cup. Let us drink together. I don't know if you go to a workplace tomorrow or you stay at home or whatever you do, you go to school or whatever's involved. But if you have opportunity to talk to people who are around you tomorrow and they inquire what you did over the weekend, one of the things you could share with them is that you had opportunity to participate in a service at your church that reminded you that the forgiveness of God and the plan of salvation has been completed and is offered to you. And you enjoyed the refreshment of God's spirit in your own heart. And what a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time you had in the presence of the Lord with your brothers and sisters in the family of God. Precious, precious, precious times. We'll sing, and then we will observe the receiving of blessing.